You're listening to the podcast of the Music Therapy Research Blog.com. The brain. Feel the brain. A miracle of creation. In this, a simple dawn. Filled with information. And a love that knows no bounds. We continue our discussion with members of the editorial board of the Journal of Music Therapy, this time with Dr. Elizabeth Stegemoller, who is a music therapist and assistant professor of kinesiology at Iowa State University. She's a member of the Society for Neuroscience and the American Music Therapy Association. Elizabeth completed a double major in biology and music therapy at University of Missouri at Kansas City, a PhD in neuroscience from Northwestern University, and a postdoctoral fellowship in the Applied Neuromechanics Research Laboratory at the University of Florida. Her research interests include neural control and performance of repetitive movements in persons with Parkinson's disease, rehabilitation strategies that include music to improve music movement performance in PD, and the neural basis of music. We hope you enjoy our discussion for this ongoing series with the editorial board of Journal of Music Therapy with Dr. Elizabeth Stegemoller. Pleased to be joined today by Dr. Elizabeth Stegemoller and Elizabeth, wondering if you would start off um, your uh, episode here for, for our, our little collection of Journal of Music Therapy editorial board members, if you would talk about your pathway uh, to becoming interested in music therapy research in particular. Sure. So I um, first started out with my undergraduate degree in biology and thought that I was going to go into medicine, uh, sports medicine in particular. And by the time I reached my junior year, I decided that I didn't want to do med school. And one of my really good friends had suggested that I look into music therapy. And so I did and applied and ended up uh, doing a dual degree in biology and music therapy because I was so far along in the biology degree, I only had a couple of upper level um, courses to take to finish the degree. So while I was doing um, both degrees, I took a upper level uh, neuroscience course. It was still an undergraduate course, but it was in neuroscience. And at the same time, I was beginning to do some clinical practicums through the music therapy program. And that was when I first kind of got intrigued um, in trying to merge what I was learning in class to what I was observing um, in my clinical practicums. And when I would ask questions, um, either, either from either side of the camp with the professors, um, there wasn't really good answers to my questions as to why um, music therapy was working. And at that point was when I kind of decided that I would like to pursue that route and try to understand um, what's going on in the brain and what happens when we do music therapy in the clinic. And so that's probably when I first uh, became interested in doing research in particular with music therapy and um, also um, in the field of neuroscience. Um, I continued and did my internship and when I finished my internship we um, tried to um, decide what we were going to do next and um, turns out 
that I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to volunteer in Dr. Nina Krause's lab at Northwestern University. And she was just then getting started in research in music therapy or music, not music therapy. And so um, I did some volunteer work there and continued to grow my interest in research and then applied to the program at Northwestern um, for neuroscience. And turns out that all worked out and um, got into the program. And then I think it's kind of all, I don't know if you want to call it uphill or downhill from there. I don't, I can't think of where Evanston is in relation to Ames, Iowa. So it depends on, it's all flat pretty much, right? Yeah, it's all flat. <laughs> yeah. And so you have, you must be the only person with a uh, biology degree and a music therapy degree at the same time. Have you ever run into any other of your kind <laughs> that exists? Science PhD. <laughs> yeah. And the neuroscience PhD. Um, not that I know of. I mean, there may be, there was a, there's been a lot of psychology in music therapy. I haven't heard of anyone that's quite biology and music therapy. I do have a lot of students coming up that um, are interested in working in, in my lab in particular that do music and neuroscience, but um, not the music therapy. Um, so there are people that are, have very related, um, I think, degrees, um, you know, but I haven't found anybody that is the exact makeup of me yet. <laughs> you are <laughs> unique. <laughs> Well, it's really interesting to hear how you kind of came into music therapy and then continued into neuroscience. Can you tell us a little bit more about your current research interests? Sure. Um, so for me, this has been kind of an exciting time. Um, you know, I grew up in the neuroscience world uh, for a long time with my PhD and then my postdoc. Um, and I guess what that means is I've had to do pretty much the research that my mentors wanted me to do. Um, they're very much related to music therapy, but not, um, specifically, you know, I was kind of sh shooed away from tar targeting that type of research at that time. And so I finally, you know, I'm in a position where I have my own lab and I'm beginning, not beginning, but I'm writing some, uh, larger grants and it's been kind of an interesting transition in, in particular these last year where, um, my grants have been focused um, kind of on the research that I had done up to this point. Um, and then there was this shift of um, people saying, well, I really liked that neuroplasticity part that you put in the grant. And I think that's that's the exciting part. That's the that's what's going to get funded. And it was kind of the shift of thinking, really, I can really go for funding for what I really want to do. And so most recently, I've put in um, a couple of different grants. I have one that's in um, review right now and one that's in preparation. So the one that's in review is looking at um, using music, music therapy, and no music conditions um, to improve movement performance in people with Parkinson's disease, and particularly looking at fine motor movement, such as handwriting and repetitive finger movements, but also um, skilled walking tasks, such as um, walking backwards, walking around cones, just regular walking. And the thing that's really exciting about this study is that I have access to a bunch of 
wonderfully new technologies in um, my lab. And so we will be pairing uh, neurophysiology techniques to look at pre and post changes in neurophysiology with each of these groups. Um, so one group would just do the movements um, and go through training with just listening to music. Um, another group will do the trainings, the movement training with music therapies where that the music is specifically um, facilitating the movements of interest. And then the third group will have no um, music as, uh, um, during the training, but just being asked to practice the particular movements of interest. And prior to and post to, we will use a new technology called, trans it's not new, but it's uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. And this is a device that you can um, use to create an electric current in the brain and measure the excitability of the brain. And we will use this to test um, inhibition, excitability, and neuroplasticity measures within the brain while recording electroencephalography or EEG at the same time. We'll do this pre and post. We'll also collect data during the actual movement tasks. Um, by We have a dry wireless EEG system so that we don't need gel, we don't need wires, and so we can actually record brain activity while people are doing larger movements such as the skilled walking tasks. And we'll look at how all of this changes pre and post um, training within the groups. So that's pretty exciting. Um, who knows if it'll get funded, but we are currently kind of working towards um, some of that uh, research, continuing to uh, collect some pilot data to go towards that. And so it's been kind of fun um, to actually get started with that. Yeah, I'm not a grant reviewer, but you sold me. I'll, I'll fund it if just... <laughs> If that ever happens, yeah, okay. just send me send me what you think would work, and then as soon as I get the lottery, I'll send it on to you. That'll be fine. Um, <laughs> one of the things I actually was interested in talking to you about was the grant thing. So I'm wondering if we could just back up for a second, and and you know, you came into uh, the world of research grant writing um, likely through you know working, uh, like you said, in Dr. Krause's lab, and, and obviously she's she's big in in terms of research grants, but. How do how do you, do you have any recommendations or advice for music therapists? Uh, maybe people who, who are researchers, um, but they're but they're still thinking like that's that's the next step for me. The next step is maybe some sort of five figure, you know, twenty five thousand dollar grant offered by a university or a, or a clinician and researcher, you know, affiliation sort of a grant. What advice might you have for music therapists looking to take that next step? Um, it sounds kind of bad, but don't have high expectations. <laughs> Because, um, you know, everybody is limited in the amounts of funding money that they have. And and also to not take it personal. So if you write a grant and you don't get it, just, um, I think what my husband calls, he says, just flush the toilet and move on. Um, because, and find another source. And then also to know that what you wrote for maybe that one grant, you can just turn around and edit and revise and submit it again someplace else. Um, so I would say um, always keep your eye open for um, different funding possibilities. And, you know, you can always kind of alter what you have to make um, it work for different funding calls. Um, I would suggest um, working with others that have 
actually put in grants, it does not hurt at all to send it to external reviewers before you actually submit it. So I send my grants to um, a colleague that has similar interests, but I also send it to colleagues that have no idea what I'm doing um, so that they can read it from an outside perspective and tell me, do they understand it? Do they understand what I'm talking about? And that helps because your reviewers aren't going to be experts in your field. They're going to be people that know maybe a little bit about what you're doing. And so it helps to have somebody that that is educated and has had experience with grant writing and good experience, um, but isn't necessarily doing the same work as you. Um, but if you're going to do that, that just means that you have to hit your grant deadlines at least a month in advance, if not sooner, to give those people a chance to read the grant, to give you feedback, and then you, for you to incorporate those edits. Um, if you're at a university or other places, um, check in to see if they may have some um, external resources for grant reviewers. I don't know if it's just my university and then I'm super lucky, but we have the opportunity to contract with um, grant specialists that um, that's their job is to help uh, researchers get grants. And so um, that last grant that I mentioned, we um, in particular, I sent it to a, a grant consultant and she was of extreme value um, in, in putting that grant together. Um, and obviously she had no idea what I was talking about. And so it was kind of nice to, for her to say, what are, what do you mean here? <laughs> and then being able to elaborate it. And I could talk with her over the phone and I could talk about it, but then when I would go to write it, it would be, um, in my case, too technical. And she's like, no, you need to write what you just told me over the phone. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And so those are some of the strategies that I would use um, to help with grant getting grants, but also just it's a mindset of not having real high expectations and just being willing to continue to pursue because it's um, it's a it's a hard road to to follow, and if you and it it may take you you know several several several. Uh, applications before you get one hit but when you do get that one hit it's great thank you for all the that advice for people who are interested in doing uh, going into the research grants area I wanted to ask you about your past publications if you have any um, publications that you're proud of or that you think are important I know that when I read your work I really appreciate your neuroplasticity article that you did in the Journal of Music Therapy but I'm interested in your perspective of your work and what you find is important for the field or something that you're proud of yourself well <laughs> that's kind of hard I'm um, more proud that I got something accepted than <laughs> after going through the process um, well in terms of the work most definitely, I um, I do uh, like the neuroplasticity paper. That was actually one that I had been wanting to write for years, and I just had never really sat down and made it work. And so it was kind of um, an honor to be able to see, to write that for JMT and to see it get published and um, and and have people be able to 
use that information. Um, and I've seen it come across my desk as being cited in a couple other uh, articles. And that that's the part that gets kind of exciting. You're like, ooh, somebody else likes my work. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's like your citation factor or something that, you, you know, it doesn't get you any credit at the holiday parties, but in your mind, <laughs> it <laughs> feels really good, right? <laughs> yeah, it most definitely is. Um, and some of the other, uh, you know, manuscripts that aren't necessarily my first author work, but they um, are from my postdoc where I pretty much ran the study, but I was like a second author, has, has gotten a lot of publication. Um, there's one that looked at um, the effects of um, dual tasking uh, or riding a bicycle while doing a dual tasking in people with Parkinson's disease and showing that actually riding a bicycle can actually help people to think better um, or at least people with Parkinson's disease to think better. And so that has gotten a lot of press. Um, and I would say co- going forward, well, some of the ones that I'm uh, most excited about, they're kind of under review right now. So they're not technically published yet, but I'm most excited about um, the work that I've been doing, uh, looking at the effects of singing in people with Parkinson's disease. And so right now we have two manuscripts that are under review. And um, actually, this is the second grant that I had mentioned earlier that we're pushing forward. Um, So we did a study that looked at the effects of singing on um, the voice, respiratory control and swallow in people with Parkinson's disease and found some significant results and particularly with respiratory control and swallow and this is really exciting to me because most of the participants in the study had mild to moderate Parkinson's disease didn't really report much difficulty with swallowing yet uh, problems and impairments with respiratory control and swallowing are uh, one of the Uh, leading factors that lead to death in people with Parkinson's disease because they will develop aspiration pneumonia. So the fact that we're seeing these almost preventative um, improvements in the uh, uh, respiratory control and swallow is really um, exciting to me. Along with all of the, um, we've added some qualitative research in with this and the interviewing to for people to tell us what is it about um, these interventions, which were all led by music therapists, um, but what is it about those interventions that um, in music therapy that makes it so uh, unique and makes it work for the patient from the patient perspective. Um, and so that work is all in play of getting um, under review and hopefully will be published sometime soon <laughs> if it gets accepted. And then we're moving forward into a multi-site clinical trial. And that grant actually goes in in February, fingers crossed, that I can get it all together, um, which will do basically a very similar study, but across multiple sites in the United States. So um, that's kind of you know, a piece of research that's actually there, uh, manuscripts that'll be coming out or publications that'll be coming out that I'm, I'm really excited in because it's really my first, um, first publications that are related, um, specifically to music therapy research. Yeah, that's really exciting, um, for, for everyone. And, 
<clears throat> excuse me, in the music therapy field in particular too. I'm wondering if you'd uh, just back up for a second and talk uh, about some advice that you might have uh, on that writing writing up process, or if there's something that you've found uh, in preparing manuscripts. You know, you put in you put in all this work. You do all the grant writing. You do all the making sure the methodology is in place. You you can take you know up to a year, maybe two years, sometimes recruiting enough people to to be part of the trial. Uh, and then there's the moment that you actually, you know, have to sit there with the blank page and, you know, the blank Microsoft Word document and then figure, I want to tell somebody about, about these great results. And I'm wondering if there's particularly good uh, advice uh, that you've received uh, that you think has been really good for you in terms of uh, being able to um, get manuscripts and get your, get your thoughts on the page. Yep. I most definitely can share some little tools, um, but and they may seem pretty obvious, Um so we also, one of the things that I would suggest is if it's available to you to be in a writing group. Um, I've been lucky that they have a writing group here at this institution. We meet monthly to discuss issues with trying to write, but we also send our send around to each other via email our two-week writing goals. And that really, um, when we first started, it was kind of funny because we had like pie-in-the-sky goals that we thought we could accomplish within two weeks and now they really become goals uh it makes you really think about how much can i get done um with writing because the writing is a big process yeah i think i did not have pie in the sky i remember thinking man these two paragraphs are really hard i don't know if i have time for these two paragraphs this week (laughs) i started the opposite end well so along with that comes you know if you're serious about writing a manuscript at least set aside 30 minutes a day for writing. Put it in your calendar and block it off. Don't let anybody else take it away from you. And sometimes I find myself, it's, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock, and I've gotten my kids into bed, and I'm dead tired from the day, and I don't want to do anything. But I tell myself, I haven't gotten my 30 minutes today because somebody else took it earlier, which I'm not supposed to let happen. <laughs> and I will write for just 30 minutes. Um you know, and by the time you get to the end of the week, that's a lot of time that you've spent writing. Um, and to take, and it also makes you take breaks. It makes you come back to what you were writing before. So even if you only have 30 minutes and you only get two sentences done, you know what? That's two sentences more than you had before. And it's progress. And so I think it's just kind of keeping your um, mind frame open and just Praise the little steps that you do take towards getting a manuscript. Even if it is only one sentence, it's great. You know, it might be the best sentence in the entire manuscript. It might be the only thing that gets cited ever. And that's wonderful. So it's kind of a a more of a perspective thing. The other thing I would say is in terms of technically writing, you know, create a little outline, especially for the introduction and for the discussion. Um, And then make sure that you know what your question was or is, because if you don't, then your writing is going to be all over the place. And if you have your central question that you addressed with your research, then your introduction should set that question up. And then you should, methods should actually test that question. And your results should reveal an answer to that question. And then in the discussion, you can start talking about how that relates to other um, areas and directions. But I think one thing to keep in the back of your mind when you're writing is, what is my question? 
Am I answering this question? Do my statistics answer this question? Um, but always keeping that there when you're writing uh, research papers. And then the other thing I do is I start with the easy part. I start with my methods and my results and um, when I'm writing. I have my outline and I have my question and I keep my question real big and bold in front of me and then but then I work on the easy part first and then I feel like I've actually accomplished something and then I go back to um, the introduction and I take it sometimes one paragraph at a time sometimes a couple sentences at a time depending on the manuscript and then the final thing that I would say is that it doesn't have to be perfect because you're going to send it out for review and everybody else is going to have an opinion and that sentence that you spent an entire day working on is going to be chopped to pieces and you're going to have to change it anyway. So, you know, what you want to aim for is keeping your question in mind and telling a clear, concise story and um, to not sweat the details so much because reviewers are going to come back and make you change all those little details of to and the, that, therefore, you know, um, you really want to focus on this story. Hmm. Along with that, you started to, to get into this a little bit, but as a reviewer who's reviewed many manuscripts, do you have any advice from the reviewer's perspective? You've already talked about making sure that you have a nice flow in your manuscript, keeping the research questions central. Anything else that you'd like to add? Um, well, the reviewer's worst nightmare is the manuscripts that's like 30 pages long, you know, <laughs> they're like, okay, we don't need all of this information <laughs> to have to read because I, I have other things to do, right? Concision. No. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, again, um, yeah, concise, you know, and if it doesn't really apply to, especially in the introduction, I understand that dissertations are different than manuscripts, in my opinion. And dissertations, yes, you must do your lit review. But we don't need that in the manuscript. We need the concise introduction. You know, what? why is this an issue? What's the, you know, like Parkinson's disease? Why is it a big deal that I'm studying it? What do we know about the question that I'm looking at and what is missing? And therefore, I'm going to do this. Um, nice and concise in my opinion some people like a little bit more information and i think it depends on the journal that you're going to um that you're targeting but um i you know a concise story is great um the other thing i would say is cite your methods if you've done something and somebody else has done it done it put that citation in there so that it you're it doesn't seem that you're coming up with just some random something or another. Even if it is something that's new that you haven't done before, there's probably at least a portion of it that has been done before by somebody else. And so I would at least support the methods that you use, either through citations or, you know, this has been done and reliability and all of that stuff. Yeah, nobody's um, really reinventing too much of the wheel with those, with some of these, with most methodologies. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so go ahead and cite it so that it's not like you're just making this up. <laughs> so cite your methodologies um, and where they come from. Show that they're reliable. And, and all of that is just maybe one sentence and a, and a citation. And then don't overinterpret 
results. That seems to be the biggest thing in the discussion. Um, and, you know, results are hard to follow sometimes, especially if you have a lot of acronyms and numbers. And so just remember, it may sound clear to you, but it may not to somebody else. It's the same thing. So it's the same. Um, I use the same thing as I would in a grant. Let somebody else read it. Um, let somebody else outside of your field read it because likely the reviewers may have some information or some knowledge in your field, but they're not experts. And so, again, if you can find someone that can read it and say, what are you talking about? Or I didn't get anything from the results um, because I just had a lot of acronyms and numbers. And then, again, just to make sure you don't overinterpret your discussion of your results. Yeah, it, it's a pretty common thing just to just to make sure that if I, especially even if it's a student papers or something like that, if I'm the first pair of eyes that's seeing it, that's probably not a good sign. <laughs> so there's just so much that you can miss, even just by not reading it out loud and some of those little things. Although I thought those were good tips. Um, but in, and even talking about students now, uh, are the last question that that we're asking all the editorial board members uh, for the this series of podcasts is advice that you have to new new researchers. So not even necessarily thinking about grants. You know, high level things like that. Um, you know, even manuscripts or anything. But but they've got the but but somebody who's a music therapist and they've got a sense of I really want to be involved in in research in some way. But I'm not. But I'm a new clinician. And I'm not quite sure um, where to head first. What advice would you give to that new clinician? Um, that's a good question. Um, so it, I think it would depend on what that person's goal is. If they're looking at just being involved in clinical research or if they're looking at becoming like a full, full-on researcher. Um, but I think in any case, if you can find mentors that can help you with your research, whether it be at an academic university or at the institution that you're working at, there's likely to be someone that's done some sort of research and maybe there isn't anybody at your institution there is somewhere someone somewhere most likely doing research in the area that you're interested in and i think that young uh investigators especially younger music therapists um sometimes feel that they can't contact maybe they read a journal that they think is like a journal article that they think is like awesome and they would love to do something similar to that um you know the author's contact information is there for a reason and it never hurts to try to contact that author they may not respond that's true you know some people don't respond but um you know some others might and then all of a sudden you have a, a collaboration um, with someone that's willing and interested in similar work. Um, but I think um, collaboration and finding a mentor is probably the first step um, because there's a lot to research that seems overwhelming. And if there's someone that can help you even with IRB and things like that for getting approval, um, it would be it would be very beneficial. That's good advice. Um, and uh, with that, we'll we'll sort of wrap up our our half hour with you. And uh, really appreciate your time. Continued uh, best of luck, of course, with all the grant writing and, and research and all that. And thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Extend a loving hand. Music for today's podcast is 
called Feel the Brain by Brian Dewan. Feel the brain, feel the brain, feel the brain, feel the brain, warm and wet and knowing. You're listening to the podcast associated with the Music Therapy Research Blog, found at musictherapyresearchblog.com. Your hosts are Dr. Blythe Lagasse and Dr. Andrew Knight, music therapy faculty members at Colorado State University. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let us know by heading to iTunes and submitting a review and a rating. It only takes a minute and helps our visibility on the iTunes page tremendously. Thanks in advance. the brain, feel the brain.